Blog Talk Radio. Fifteen edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and what you just heard in terms of an abrupt decrease in volume in this intro music here is the new Blog Talk Radio slider. It appears to be a continuous slider for decreasing volume, but actually it's still the old discreet idea. It just looks fancier. This is Amy Peekoff. You're listening to Don't Let It Go Unheard, and joining me soon will be cartoonist Bosch Faustin. As we talked to you guys about last week, we are experimenting with doing two days a week. And we said, yes, we were going to do Wednesday and Friday. And the thinking behind that was that you now have here on Blog Talk Radio, Jerome Brook, Dr. Jerome Brook, on Mondays. And he's got his own show here on Blog Talk Radio in the politics category right with us. And we figured, okay, he's on Monday. Maybe we'll go on Wednesday and Friday. And we've now thought that maybe what we'd like to do is put one more day in between our two shows per week and do our shows on Tuesday and Friday. So I think that's what we're going to do next week. But here we are on Wednesday. Hello, everyone. And I see that we do have people in the chat room. I saw just Jean over in the chat room here at Blog Talk Radio, and she was happy that she'd gotten in before the show started. And then somehow I think she got kicked out or something. So I hope you didn't have too much difficulty. Uh, Rob Abier is over here in the chat room. He says, my tornado shelter of rationality. From what I understand, Rob, you could have used a tornado shelter today, or perhaps you did use a tornado shelter today. I assume that you and your person and your property are all okay from the tornado. Let me know how you're doing. Any damage? Yeah, selfishness always gets the music right. So if we're going to have some sort of a prize for naming that tune in a certain number of notes, it's probably going to go to selfishness. I see John is joining us over here. Mark, Larry, Cobra Pilot, number of guests. Welcome, everyone. Yeah, Jean said she refreshed the screen, but now she's back. 
it, it's tricky stuff out there. It really is. Once I get connected, I pretty much don't touch things. Oh, so you heard the muse. Excellent. Yeah. I've got to hear some of the new muse. I want to know if it's any good. I don't have the new muse yet, but we'll have to see. Um, you love your app, Selfishness says. Did you, um, I forget what that app was called, where you actually hold it up to the music and get your thing. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Um, as I said, Tuesdays and Fridays is probably what we're going to end up settling on, although here we are Wednesday, Friday this week. And I think Tuesday night is good. Those of you who want to listen to a show on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you'll be you know, listening to your own book on Monday in the morning. And then you can listen to us Wednesday morning if you like during your commute to work or whatever. You just have it subscribe on your iTunes and, and we'll be right there for you. So I think that's what we'll do. But here we are. And as I said, Bosch Boston will be joining me soon. Today the topic is, and it's kind of dictated by some of the debate that's been going on out there among my friends, and it is this. You know, how much should we be concerned about the religiosity of Ted Cruz and about, in particular, his choice to have his formal speech announcing his candidacy at Liberty University. Now, if you remember, his actual announcement, the first announcement, came the night before on Twitter. And Twitter is, a, as far as I know, a very secular forum. I don't know of any particular religious denomination there. But it is true. Then he goes the next morning and gives his whole speech at Liberty University, which is a Christian university. And many people are worried and they think that this is very significant and that he deserves a lot of criticism for it. And perhaps we should, you know, kind of gradually, you know, uh, actually significantly ratchet down our enthusiasm for Ted Cruz as a candidate for 2016. So, I really want your opinion on this. What do you think? What does it mean to you that he has done this? Uh, if you want to, you can call 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817, and we will keep tabs on the switchboard. I do believe, you know, again, things uh, look a little bit different in the Blog Talk Radio studio over here, but I think it's still the case that you need to hit the uh, one button when you call in if you want to go ahead and comment tonight. Uh, Rob over here in the chat room is checking in about the damage. There's a lot of damage around, but the tornado missed him. So that is good. I've got a sister in Oklahoma, and I think she tells basically the same story, that she herself, her person, her property and everything, all her family is safe, but um, damage, a lot of damage. Hopefully nobody got seriously injured there, and hopefully it's not too much damage. But yeah, you guys, you guys. We, I mean, we have our earthquakes, but you have your tornadoes more frequently than we have our earthquakes. Okay. So um, one thing I wanted to point out: if you go to the program notes over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com, first link is News Sandwich. News Sandwich is back. I've figured out a way that I can kind of squeeze this back into my life. I'm actually not super, super energetic today. Uh, I tried this crazy idea of a, a slow carb diet. Um, it's the diet that the four hour work week guy, um, Tim Ferriss, recommends. And it turns out it's probably not the right kind of diet 
for me. I'm not doing it because I need to lose weight. I'm always just looking for the best way to use food in a convenient and semi-tasty way to add energy to my day. And that apparently is not the way for me personally to do it. So I'm having to switch back on that. Um, but most days, now that I've, I, I think I've told you guys, I have was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in December. And once I started treating it, and whenever I'm on a semi-decent diet and get enough sleep, I have plenty of energy now. And I feel I can add some of these things that I really love doing back into my life. And one of the, those things is New Sandwich. I, re, I really like the concept of New Sandwich. New Sandwich, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, get that link over at don'tletitgo.com and you can go right there. Or if you're not on the web right now, just remember it's newssandwich.net. Newssandwich.net. And what I try to do there is I try to present the news in such a way that it'll be a bit more palatable because there is so much bad news out there and it's easy to read and focus and obsess and you know get despaired, get in despair about the bad news. And what I like to do is I like to present those items of bad news alongside items of good news. So, you know, we're not being Pollyanna. We're not trying to ignore or evade, but at the same time, we're going to look at things in perspective and look at the good and focus on the good in the world as well. So that's what I do with New Sandwich. I've got three different posts that I put up in the last week and go check them out if you like for yourself. One of them, of course, is a post that I wrote up after our show the other day when we were talking about Ted Cruz's candidacy. And thanks to all of you who joined us here. You helped me refine the questions that I would ask Ted Cruz if I was lucky enough to interview him here on Don't Let It Go Unheard. I've got four questions over there on New Sandwich that you can look. Feel free to leave your comments about whether there's a crucial question that I've left out. Um, you know, there are comments that I see around either in social media or here on the blog, and I contemplate whether I'm going to add something to that if I ever do get the chance to interview him. But, you know, one thing that we do talk about over in the post is the fact that, yes, Ted Cruz did speak at Liberty University. He talked about religion quite a bit in his speech. He emphasized his personal connection to religion and how it came to be. And it came to be apparently in a very strong way, which is that his uh, father actually, I guess, had left his mother and him. And? He was three years old. Oh, yeah, he was three years old. That's right. Uh, Bosch just centered here. Welcome, Bosch, to the Hello. show. Bosch Boston. Um, yeah, and so his father had left, and apparently he was talked into going back at the same time by a friend he was converted to Christianity. I guess he had been secular, not particularly religious. I think there had been a lot of alcohol yeah. drinking going on in the family as well. So I think that was an issue. So um, definitely has a personal connection, and he was emphasizing it there. And the question is, how worried should we be about it? On Again, on all of these concrete issues, he has a strong policy position for example, abolishing the IRS. He actually talks about abolishing it, filling out 
you know, taxes on a postcard or something. Um, He's a fighter. Yes, he wants he wants to repeal every word of Obamacare, every word of Common Core. He's not turning the other cheek, love the enemy. No, he's not. He wants to fight the bad guys. He wants to protect us. I mean, at least that's what he says. I I think it's true. And he wants to take on those within his party that he think are that that he thinks are corrupt. Right. Right. Which he's been doing for the last couple of years. Yeah. So, how I mean, how how seriously though do you take this religion, Bosch? I mean, I I don't know. Uh, it, It bothered me. Uh, to the extent that he was pushing religion, but uh, knowing him, knowing what he's done in the Senate, knowing the red iron rand on the floor of the Senate, um, uh, twice he cited her. Well, and this is one follow-up question that I had because, of course, our interest in Ayn Rand's philosophy makes it so that we will notice that he's reading from Atlas Shrugged, reading from the Fountainhead, and calling people you know, go read it. Yeah, telling not, telling people to read Atlas Shrugged. He didn't, know, read from, he didn't read from the Bible. He read from Atlas Shrugged. Well, and that's my question. Did he yeah. read from the Bible? I don't, I don't think it was from the Bible at all. I try to look. I try to find. I okay. Find. Okay. So you've looked for that, and you haven't been I able looked. to find it. What I'd be interested in is if anybody here calling uh, knows whether he's read from the Bible on the he floor read of the Cat Senate. He read the or the Green Eggs and Ham. Green Eggs right? and Ham. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, he's not objectivist? Larry oh, says he's not. Well, of course. Damn, I didn't know that. Damn, he just ruined it, Larry. I had no idea. I thought it was no, I thought he was an objectivist. Yeah, the, Larry, the reason we're talking about this is not because we're trying to say that he's an objectivist, but we're trying to, you tell. know, t- yeah, <laughs> no, I know, but to talk about how important various ideas are to him in his life. And in fact... I, one of the questions that I wanted to ask him, again, go over to News Sandwich where I have a whole write-up on Cruz and, and the pros and the cons of his candidacy as I see it so far. I mean, this is all going to be modified as time goes on, right? Can I speculate something? Um, sure. About why he pushed religion so hard? I think he uh, definitely is a long-shot contender. I mean, it's a long shot. So maybe he got invited there. Maybe he said they required him or, or requested him or encouraged him to push religion a little more than he normally would in order to get that venue, in order to get some backers that wouldn't back him otherwise. He's a politician, so he'll make a wheel and, and deal him to some extent. It's possible because I've never heard him push religion. Well, that but then, bad. but then, okay. The the reason that that would then be disturbing is. What is it that he is promising them in return if that's yeah, going on? Possible. Is it just speaking about religion in a favorable way, talking about his personal connection to religion, or is he promising to do something along the road towards theocracy? That's really the question that yeah. we want to get at here. Now, we do have we do have a call. Yeah. Should we grab it? Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, this is Debbie. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm great. So i got to warn you right now, I'm driving home from work, and my cell phone battery is very low. Ooh, okay. If I I disappear, then uh, that's why. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, actually, my comment was similar to what Bosch just said about, except I have a slightly different take on it, about the fact that he made the big speech at Liberty University and was kind of playing up the religious part. Mm-hmm. I remember when Rick Santorum was running in 2012, and Sean Hannity was kind of buddies with him, and Hannity was saying that Santorum's people had told him to play down his religiosity and his emphasis on social issues 
and play up the more secular side. Because what he's known for is, and what he actually really wants is to advance the social agenda, and he needs to balance out like his voter base, basically, okay. by attracting a more secular vote. So I wonder if this is kind of the, the, the reverse of that. What Ted Cruz really cares about and already is known for and attracts people's attention is for the more secular aspects of his agenda. Right. And therefore, he has a pragmatic politician kind of move. He's playing up the religious aspect in order to attract that part of the vote. Now, that's not something that an ideal person would do, but... He's a politician. Yeah, it might suggest that he's not really interested. He's not really passionate about that, but he's playing up that other side in order to. Well, or. Or, or, you know, how, how about this? I mean, he could, you know, again, and I've... I'm going to say I, I like believe to, it. Right, believe right. It. I think he believes it. I, I like to take him at his much? word. But the the question is, how much does he actually believe he should be playing that up in a political context? So, for example, I've seen times, and I follow both of his Facebook accounts. There's, you know, a Senator Ted Cruz account, and then there's just a Ted Cruz account that you can follow on Facebook. And on the personal one is where you will see religious tone messages a lot more. It's not that he'll never talk about a religious topic, on, but you notice a difference in what he'll put on his personal versus what he puts on the senator. And um, I think that maybe you, know, maybe you guys are both right. Now, the way that you're describing it, Debbie, it sounds a bit less ominous than, because, you know, Bosch was saying, well, maybe they've told him he's got to, Play this up, and I'm wondering if there was a deal. But Maybe you're, you're, yeah, you're, but yeah, you're, but you're just saying basically it's, uh, you know, he's he's talking about something that is actually personal to him, and broadening his appeal, perhaps. One thing also, if I could just add, he also, again, a lot of religious conservatives did not vote in the last election, and he really wants them to vote, and he needs them to vote, and he's cornered, he wants to corner that critical market to some extent, right? Where the other ones won't. So if he could do that, and then the rest of the way he'll try to appeal to other groups, you know, other individuals. I mean, hopefully he. I mean, we, you know, he appeals some, to some, of, some of this is speculation. We'll see as yeah. time goes on, right? We shall see. I mean, he's gonna, you know, if he is up to something shady, we'll find out. If he's not, if he is what we think he is, it is what it is, I and mean, we have to accept it. Right. This is this is the country that we live in. The majority of Americans are religious. You know, if you if you come out there and try to <laughs> downplay it or. So, so Debbie, you're saying it doesn't worry you that much, and you don't see him as a would-be theocrat. Uh, I don't see him as a would-be theocrat. That's definitely a true statement. It's not that I love it, but um, I see him playing it up in terms of talk, but what I see him really fighting to advance in action is the secular side of his agenda. So what it looks like to me right now, based on what I've seen so far, is that it might just be sort of a pragmatic politician sort of thing that he's doing. We'll see. I mean, I, I'm, I'm wary. I'm really wary of anyone who is religious. And, um, you know, but so far, I don't have that, like, if, if we were talking about Rick Santorum, that's a good contrast. Rick Santorum terrifies me, and uh, well, right. And I mean, you can, you right. can, you can see the influence of religion on Rick Santorum to the extent that he has explicitly rejected 
the right to the pursuit of happiness, which is, of course, the natural consequence if you really take religious seriously, right? Um, yeah, religion seriously, yeah. If you take it seriously, then that's what's going to happen eventually is you're going to be led to reject the right to the pursuit of happiness. Selfishness would be purely evil, but I don't see that in Cruz myself. Right, right, exactly. So just kind of that's, that's, that's the contrast that I have. And so right now as it stands, I don't see that as a major threat. But, you know, my eye out. Well, I don't know if your cell phone battery is going to wear out, Debbie, but let me ask you about one more question. Do you think that Ted Cruz has been exposed by CNN to be a hypocrite because in an interview today, he actually admitted that he has signed up for Obamacare. Ah, yeah, I heard that on NPR too, and they and they really were just loving it. It was sort of presented as a gotcha sort of thing. Of course. But what happened was his wife went on extended unpaid leave, mm-hmm. and that's why, because she's probably presumably she went on that leave because she's going to support his candidacy and be touring around with him and stuff. And so she left her health insurance, which they had previously been covered by. And so I think that the only alternative is Obamacare. I don't know if there's any way for them to get health insurance without going that route. But I don't, well, I don't know, so actually. In, in, my, yeah. um, in my experience, they could go for COBRA. COBRA is super expensive. And I don't gather that they're very wealthy. I remember that Ted Cruz talked about finally paying off his student loans a few years ago. So it's not like they've accumulated piles and piles of of wealth. Um, I mean, she makes a decent salary, he makes a decent salary, but, you know, they've got their uh, campaign to run and all sorts of stuff. Uh, They offer health insurance through his work. And and the thing that I, I, I love about this is it's actually the same criticism that was levied at Ayn Rand, right? Um, Ayn Rand was a staunch opponent of Social Security, and everyone has, well, not everyone, but her critics, a bunch of her nasty critics, were making a big thing about the fact that she actually took Social Security, which, of course, she had been, you know, paying into her entire life. She came to America in her early 20s and paid into all of that, just like, you know, all of us have been doing. Um, you know, Ted Cruz said it exactly right that you don't have to, you know, yourself kind of go outside the law and refuse to, you know, for example, get the health insurance that's offered now by his employer, which just happens to be Obamacare due to the law. Importantly, though, you know, there was actually, I think, a little bit of an ambiguity in the CNN interview, and that was that the lady seemed to be implying that he was taking a subsidy, you know, and and there is some sort of an exemption subsidy or something that the uh, members of Congress have been taking. Um, It was not in the original Obamacare legislation. This is one of the things that Obama did with his pen and the phone and Harry Reid or whatever. They made some deal, and it's not actually something that was passed as an amendment to the legislation, which is what should have happened. And so Cruz is going so far as to deprive himself of that. And I think it's because he doesn't believe that that was amended lawfully, right? So he's saying, I oppose this law, but I follow the law. I'll abide by it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, like you mentioned, Ayn Rand with the Social Security, what, what came to mind for me is that essay, The Question of Scholarships, in which she says mm-hmm. that you're entitled to take government money of that of various kinds as a restitution so long as you speak out against it and fight against it. And I don't know anyone who has a more effective you know, I mean, he, he's actually got the potential to literally sign a bill that repeals it, and he keeps saying that that's what he wants to do. So he's exactly in that situation where he's, if he has to take Obamacare for a while, he shouldn't martyr himself and spend the extra money if he's fighting to repeal it. It doesn't make him a hypocrite at all. Like she said, the contradiction lies in the welfare state, not in the actions of the person who is taking that benefit. So, right. I wish right. That, yeah. There is there is there's no reason for him because he opposes Obamacare to force his family to do the more expensive thing, which is you know pay for Cobra from his wife's work or whatever it is that they would have to do. That is super super pricey expensive stuff. Also, one thing you know yeah. that's a lame argument against rent because they find it very difficult to have a fundamental argument against her and about Cruz also. If there's been dirt on him. They've had a couple of years to do it, and this is all they can muster. They're like, oh, you're a hypocrite. That's right. We got you. That's it. So now don't run anymore. Just walk away from politics, you know, as if. The thing that I like is that a pile of conservatives have been out there on the Internet, you know, talking about how ridiculous this stupid gotcha is. And I think the fact that people have now been through this means that the next time the Social Security argument comes up, maybe – they're not going to, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're they're not going to be as adversarial to Rand herself on this. But I mean, you 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 uh, you know, you oppose it and then you do it. And it was funny. Bosch was joking. Maybe Ted Cruz read my tweet or something. But I had tweeted out earlier today. I said, you know, he promises to. Well, he follows you. He follows me too. That's right. He does. Follow, he actually. I'm I'm actually honored. He follows <laughs> he follows me on both of his accounts on Twitter. Follow me. But um, you know, he follows thousands of people. But. Not <laughs> Not as many as you would think. No, but he still has a thousands. Lot more followers. Thousands, definitely. Um, he's, I'm sure he's got a crazy. He's listening right now. That's right. Hey, hey, he's li- he's call. No, call <laughs> just call in and let us know what you think. I've got those four interview questions. I mean, he's got an open invitation. He can call at this show anytime that we're on and answer those four questions that are there on the on my news sandwich. But. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he's going to get rid of the IRS. That's what he wants to do. He wants to abolish the IRS. But I guarantee he's filling out those tax forms, and he's not just—he's not just sending in a postcard this year, right? So I mean, it's such a ridiculous—it's a ridiculous gotcha attempt. It's it's desperate, and it's and it's telling. That's a great point. Like, is he a hypocrite for filling out his IRS forms and 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 not just sending them a postcard? Right, right, yeah. And 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 he actually said that on Mark Levin's show tonight. He says. Hey, you know, I, I pay my taxes. I send them in. <laughs> and, of course, we do. You know, and the interesting thing is, too, um, there are people who believe, you know, if you think there's an unjust law that you have a duty to do civil disobedience or something like that. And, interestingly, in, in Martin Luther King's letters from Birmingham Jail, he said in there, he wrote that if there is an unjust law, that, in, fa- in effect, you have a moral duty to disobey it, but that comes from his own ethics of self-sacrifice. And so I would say that this choice of Cruz and, you know, to both take the Obamacare 
that is available through his employment and defend it shows that he's not sacrificial, yeah. right? And he's willing to say, no, you know, I'm getting to do what everybody else, I'm following the law, I oppose the law, but I follow the law. And it's, I, it's a perfectly consistent position. Well, yes, also, has, has he ever used the term sacrifice? I haven't I heard it. I don't just, think I have. Curious. But I don't know. I, don't I mean, really we're, we're going to have to start he... now analyzing everything. No, but, no, right. no. If we heard it, we would, it would have no, shown no, out this because I haven't heard it from him. Uh, you know, maybe it's been tamed to some extent within him yeah. by his exposure to Rand and others. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Any last words, uh, Debbie? Are you still there? Has your phone died on us? Uh, I've survived, but I think that my phone is just giving little beats to let me know that it's about to die. <laughs> so okay. I better... Well, we look we look forward to talking to you next time and drive safe, okay? Okay. Take care. Okay, I think I did that. Ooh, I think I hung her up. Ooh, I've got to figure out a better way to do this. The new blog talk. <laughs> blog talk. No. I just I hung her up. She's gonna think that her cell phone died, and I accidentally hung her up. So Debbie, if you end up listening to this again. Actually, if if I see her get on again, but I doubt I will because I think her cell phone is close to dead. Um, oh well, I'll I'll let her know next time I talk to her. Uh, Mark says it would be good to know just how much influence Rand has had on him and in which area. I agree, and this is why because I've heard that in one interview he talked about having an affinity for Rawls and that looking at issues through a Rawlsian lens. And that is completely contradictory to Rand's view, at least as I see it. So I would like to hear his, his from him as well. So you know, he he's very mixed, but he still comes out as better than all the other guys. And I think I think it must be the brilliance that you know people are aware of in him, and we you know we've seen him just so artfully, skillfully, and you know honestly and forthrightly. Yeah. But you know, it wasn't like he's being deceptive at all. But he is able to explain his view and defend his view on anything that I've seen in any of the interviews, in any of the forums. He's very comfortable, and he's very, I love when he basically chuckles when they bring up these horrific things. He, he was called slimy the old day. He chuckled about it. You know, right. It, it, he thought it was funny. But, yeah, well, I, I would love to see him, you know, as I said, answer the four questions that I have. Go over to newsandwich.net, and you'll see my post from yesterday about Cruz's candidacy, and I've got those four questions. And it would it would be great to have the opportunity to speak with him, and I'm sure he'd do a good job. But I would like to hear that, you know, yeah. Rand versus Rawls. Now, I didn't hear him read any Rawls no. on the floor of the Senate. I didn't, you know, hear him say, okay, go out and read this book from Rawls and how important it is. I mean, he said we are living through Atlas Shrugged right now that everybody should That's read it. that book. If you haven't, go out and buy and read Alice. Yep. I've never heard that. So, yeah, of course, that caught my attention right away. But since then, whereas I I mean, I've seen, obviously, some things that he's done that I don't care for. Yep. And most of those are going to be, you know, from his, you know, religious background. But, I, you know, I, I don't think that that is the, the, the prime mover for him. This is from March of 2000. Oh, yeah, here's the here's the quotation. March of 2014, I believe, or 2013. No, are you talking about when he did the filibuster for... Uh, yes, that's that's his first comment about Ayn Rand on the floor of the Senate. Okay, uh, well... During Rand it, Paul's filibuster. Th- this was from Rand Paul's when he said all, yeah. all-time heroes? Yes. That's oh, his, yeah. so then he did say all-time heroes yes. twice. 
Uh, oh, oh, so so he said that in the other one as well. Well, I'm sure he said all-time heroes when he recommended that. Atlas Shrugged. I didn't hear that. Okay, one. well, I, I heard it here. Okay, well then I had it all confused. Anyway, this is a, a quote from Ted Cruz. He did this. You said on the floor of the Senate during Rand Paul's yes. filibuster while, about the drones. Yes, while he was taking a slight break. Sure. A slight break. Sure. He says one of my all-time heroes, this is, this Ayn Rand. Is Ted Cruz by Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. One of my all-time heroes, Ayn Rand and Atlas Shrugged, described how the parasitical class would put into place arbitrary power, standardless rules, precisely so the productive citizens in the private sector would have to come on bended knee to those in government seeking special dispensation, seeking special favors, because that arbitrary and standardless rule empowers the political class and disempowers the people. I couldn't help but think about Ayn Rand's observations. So he's talking about this issue of there were no rules, I guess, governing the use of drones against American citizens. Yeah. Was that kind of the connection? I guess chaos. You know, yeah. Um, no one knows what's coming tomorrow. Like businessmen, all the new rules, all the new laws, they don't know what, what's going to hit them. Pen in the phone. Yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah, Dershowitz, of all people's praises him, says don't underestimate him. Yeah, exactly. He says he is one of the most brilliant students you know, a top handful of students that he's ever had. And Dershowitz is a pretty amazing professor. I actually got to go see a class and sit in on a class of Dershowitz one time I was visiting, and that was... He's very good and very bad. Uh, You know, he's he's very critical. He's very supportive of Israel. But he supported Obama twice, and now he criticized Obama for his mis, you know, mistreatment of, of Israel. Mark in the chat room here made a good comment, too, about the issue of Cruz doing his taxes. He says, God forbid he take every deduction that's coming to him, too. Yeah, exactly. Dershowitz said about Cruz, he goes, off the charts brilliant about, about Ted Cruz. He goes, without a doubt, he is among uh, the smartest students I've ever had. I've had great students, but he has to be at the top of anyone's shortlist in terms of raw brain power. And that's what I think why... You know, he he gravitated towards Rand. Someone must have maybe, maybe he was talking. Maybe I mean maybe someone recommended it to him. And you cannot go unaffected when reading I Am Rand. I don't care where you are. I don't care where you if you reject her, you are fighting hard to reject. Let's just say. And I think that's what happened to him. I, I think uh, clearly he had an affinity for it, despite his religiosity. Um, the other thing, you know, and just to kind of in general, there have been a number of people in history who have been quite religious and yet still hold the idea of separation of church yes. and state. And and th- thanks to Rob Abiera for sharing this link on Facebook. He shared it under one of the you know links that I put out there publishing the show for tonight. And it's about Roger Williams. Um, it's just a Wikipedia entry, but it's got some fascinating information about Roger Williams' views on the separation of church and state. Let me scroll with my silly laptop here back up to the top of the entry. Um, so Roger Williams uh, was born when, oh boy, he is he's from 1600s, 1603. Um, and then he died sometime between January and March 1683. He was in office, chief officer of Providence and Warwick from 1644 to 1647. So he was an English Protestant theologian, early proponent of religious freedom. 1636, he began the colony of Providence Plantation. Um, He started the first Baptist church in America, 
the First Baptist Church of Providence. He was a student of Native American languages and advocate for fair dealings with Native Americans. He was arguably the first abolitionist in North America. He organized the first attempt to prohibit slavery in any of the original 13 colonies. And here he is on separation of church and state. Um, Due to, this is again just from Wikipedia, due to his own experience of persecution by Archbishop Bishop Laud and the Anglican establishment, as well as the Baptist writing and the bloody wars of religion that raged in Europe in that era, then Williams was convinced that a state church had no scriptural basis. His criticisms of the Massachusetts Bay system for mixing church and state immediately after his arrival demonstrates Williams had arrived at this conclusion before landing in Boston in 1631. Now, then they earlier it said 1636, so that's a contradiction, but somewhere in there. It's this, Wikipedia. Um, it's Wikipedia. Williams declared that the state could legitimately concern itself with matters of civil order only, but not of religious belief. He rejected any state attempt to enforce the, quote, first table of the Ten Commandments, those initial commandments dealing with the relationship between God and individuals. Instead, Williams believed the state must confine itself to the commandments that dealt with the relations between people. Murder, theft, adultery, lying, honoring parents, and so forth. He considered forced worship of any effort by the state to dictate religion or promote any particular religious idea or practice. Um, He declared forced worship, this is a quote from Williams, forced worship stinks in the nostrils of God. End quote. Um, He also wrote that he saw no warrant in the New Testament to use the sword to promote religious belief. Indeed, he called Constantine a worse enemy to true Christianity than Nero because the subsequent state uh, uh, supported Christianity, uh, corrupted Christianity, and led to the death of the Christian church. Now, this is something that I've heard um, also of religious people about the separation of church and state, that one of the reasons that they want to do it is not just because they think it's wrong for the church to intrude on civic matters, but also because they equally fear that politics will corrupt the church, as it has so many times in the past. Right? I remember which king, was it one of the King Henry um, in England who wanted divorces, and he wasn't supposed to be able to get divorces, so he just went ahead and you know, fixed the different church. So, oh, if the church of the current Church of England won't give me a divorce, then I'll figure out. This is this is what monarchs have done in the past. They have corrupted religious doctrine for their own ends. So, I mean, this is a, a legitimate fear. Uh, it is quite possible for crews to have strongly held religious beliefs and yet have a series of, you know, kind of concrete items in his mind where he does think religion should have an influence on politics, and it doesn't, it could be a very limited sphere. I know that recently there was this article talking about how Cruz and one other politician, I can't remember who it was, were introducing legislation promoting religious freedom. And both of the items that they were talking about were items that just, you know, all they wanted to do was allow religious people to freely exercise their religion and in so doing avoid regulations that would force them to behave against their beliefs um which is a worthy uh you know yeah so it would you know and 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 and, you know along the same lines i don't think that for example 
someone who is uh, has a bakery, this happened recently, if you have a bakery and you have a strongly held religious belief that you are against gay marriage, I do not believe that the state should be able to force you to bake cakes for a homosexual couple. If you want to lose the business from the homosexual couples who are marrying, I mean, it's, it's your loss. There's other bakers who are going to go ahead and bake that cake. But then also, you know, the homosexual couple to force this guy through law, they would want to eat that cake and enjoy it. No, I mean, I can't even imagine that either. But it's but, but this this is the sort of thing, and, and, and that it's exactly those types of things that I've seen Cruz sometimes choose to take on. Not that he's not going to try to do something to restrict abortion, but I just... I've seen him be fairly careful when he's been treading in, in these areas. So we'll, we will see what happens, though. Uh, Mark brings up here about uh, Ayanna Hirsi Ali's interview with Jon Stewart, where he was particularly nasty, and he was very nasty, very ugly. Um, if you want to mention it, laughter or something like that, I think you want to... Oh, oh, yeah. Well, you want to talk about Ayan Hirsi Ali? Well, you wanted to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I did have that next up on the agenda, okay. so we can go ahead and, right, and, cool. and go on to that topic. But thanks, Rob, for sending that. And, you know, if you do, everybody, if you want to go over, I think it's, I can't remember if it's on my Facebook page. You know what I can do is I can go ahead and add this entry to the program notes for today's show. Let me go ahead and just plop that in I mean, to quick. hear that maybe if Ted Cruz, if he starts, to, if he begins to cite him, Williams, you know what I mean? Because it's a very nuanced, um, you know, uh, nuanced position. Well, and, and here's the question, right? Would Ted Cruz cite Williams? Would he cite Williams? Um, he may not want to cite Williams. He may want to, you know, keep some of his cards hidden, but I don't know what he's going to do because people are going to ask him all kinds of questions. He's declared his candidacy very early and, you know, between going through all of the, you know, Republican debates and then later, if he, if he gets through that, he's going to be asked even more probing questions about his beliefs and religion and how far they go and what does he plan to bring into politics, he probably, right? has, he probably has answers really. I mean, this guy—you know—he didn't make that that decision lightly. This is a big decision. Yep. For running for president. The no, I'm sure. I'm sure he's. Him. I'm sure he's ready. Um, okay, Roger Williams, Wikipedia. I am putting the program note link in as I speak right here. And that is that is how quick it is. Leah, let's go ahead and take another call on this topic. Hi, you're on the air. Yes, hello everybody. My name is Chad. I'm out of New York State. How are you? Uh, we're doing fine. What can we do for you? Great, great. Well, I'm, I was just enjoying the topic of uh, religion mixing in with politics, and I, I do have a comment, and I wanted to get, I, I'm kind of having a hard time understanding where you put your view, if you are yourself religious, or if you have any spiritual background yourself, but I am a, I am a Christian, mm-hmm. and I hold on to very fundamental very fundamental um, beliefs that the Bible is the true word of God. But um, lately I've been asking the question, I want to get your thoughts on this. As we dive in closer and closer uh, into political campaigns, and as America develops more and more as the years go on, I'm noticing something very interesting about morality, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you think, it's important that 
there ought to be something. Not you wish or there should, but there ought to be something governing our behaviors. Uh, in other words, telling us what is right and wrong. Um, do you instance, do you mean do you mean do you mean like a, a a code of ethics or do you mean a absolutely super- a code of ethics? Okay. What call it from now? I'm going to call it from God. I'm going to say that God governs our, our universe. He governs us in the mind. He governs us uh, as He's written the law in our hearts. It's not right to dishonor your mom and dad. In fact, I was laughing when you were reading that little bit there by that gentleman who said that well, ethics should come from people. We should not murder, and we should honor our mom and dad. But it shouldn't be a forced religion thing. It should come from the people. Well, well, actually, actually, what he was, what he was, what he was saying there was the portion of the Ten Commandments that is the province of government is the portion of uh-huh. the Ten Commandments that pertains to relationships between people, and and that in terms of government, that government shouldn't concern itself with the relationship between human beings and God. It should just concern itself with the relations between, you know, people here on earth. Right, but right, but what does he mean by that? I mean, because God has given us laws and rules and codes of ethics that we go by every single day. We follow these rules and ethics every time that we open our mouths. Right, and um, so what, 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 what he was trying to do is he was trying to kind of por- portion off those rules given by God that concern uh-huh. people treating each other in an ethical way. That was his, you know, that's what, that was his view. I agree. I mean, I, I think the direction in which you're going is that it might be very difficult to compartmentalize that, right? And to say only these commandments from God are going to be the ones that are the province of, of government that we're going to, you know, and we're going to try to insulate government in a certain way from dealing with other things having to do with religion. Um, but, right. you know, on, on another thing, I mean, do you believe, and you said your name is Chad, right? Yes, I'm Chad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you're first-time caller, so welcome to the show. Um, do you. you believe? Do you believe that there could be a secular ethics that is something that well, you respect. Yeah, secular people do have it. In fact, uh, I I get in quite a dis- quite a bit of discussions with atheists, and uh, they'll they'll try to you're, um, uh, say you're, you're that I. You're in one I... now, by the way, Chad. You're in one now. <laughs> <laughs> Are you an atheist? Yeah, yeah. You just stumbled upon an atheist, so maybe maybe you're okay. <laughs> you know, kind of attracting okay. atheists to yourself somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's okay. I'm I'm friends with some of them, so I don't mind. I know you guys don't eat babies, so I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, um, no, we don't, we don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't practice satanic rituals. That's better. Um, no. Ew, no, yeah. sorry. Well, um, what's interesting, though, about atheism is that when I bring up things like logic, laws of logic, reasoning, math, science, and morality, what tends to happen is they say, will say things like, oh, I see. So unless you're a Christian, you can't have morality or there's no such thing as a secular uh, morality ethic thing. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, uh, I know some atheists would put some Christians to shame in their morality. Right. It's not. It's not a question of. It's not a question of whether or not an atheist can perform their life using ethics and morality, and good morality, by the way, like honoring their mom and dad. I know atheists who love their moms and dads and love their families and pay their bills and. 
But the problem is honest you can't just <laughs> Yeah, honest and, and they're they are good workers, they're very usually very good employees. There's nothing wrong with the morality of some atheists, I know. Um, but you, what I'm saying is you can't justify the morality. In other words, if I well, was going to look that, at... That, that's where we would disagree, right? Because, um, I, you know, you're new to this show, so you don't necessarily know yeah, where, what perspective we come from. But we come uh-huh, from the perspective okay. of Ayn Rand's philosophy. And Ayn okay. Rand, she she wrote an entire essay that is called The Objectivist Ethics. It's just called The Objectivist Ethics. And if you Google that phrase, you'll actually find the essay available free online uh, through the Ayn Rand Institute. It's also in a book. But what she does in there is she describes ethics entirely from the ground up and justifies it by means of logic. So it is possible to do it. Um, I'd be interested. I mean, you know, again, I don't want to give you a reading assignment. Yeah, yeah, there's no you doubt know, you're doing it. I mean, there's no doubt you're doing it. You're you use ethics and you use morality every day. But again, from an ontological, see, that's epistemology. You know, we know why people do things. The question is, where does it come from? There has to be an so, origin. So what, what, then, Rand what, holds, what Rand holds is that uh, it comes exactly uh, from the fundamental alternative of life and death. All living, all living creatures face this fundamental alternative of life and death, and only living mm-hmm. things pursue values. So the okay. reason that we actually need a code of values is because we face the fundamental alternative of life and death. It is that ontological, you know, metaphysical fact that you, as you call it, that is the root of ethics. Um, and and sure. she came, sure. she came to that realization by saying, you know, what is value, right? We always say, you know, everyone everyone always assumes you have to have a code of values. And she says, well, why do you need a code of values? Let's think about that. What is a code of values? What is value? And and you know, value is that which some being, some creature acts to gain or keep. Well, who pursues values? Hmm, only living things. Why do they do it? What well, are they? Doing. They're yeah. pursuing their lives, yeah. and so then if you if sure. you think okay, what is it to live? What is it to live as a human being, not as an animal, but as an actual human being with a rational faculty? That's from where the code of ethics comes. I mean, this is very sure. brief, but she, it, it's all in the essay. So she does. I mean, she reduces it to a fact in reality, a, a metaphysical fact. Okay. Now you believe in uh, in evolution, right? You believe in obviously in like a macro evolution. We started with the Big Bang, got into the goo, we turned into, you know, we were once one I don't know. I mean, I think that there probably is a little bit of wooziness um, when you go way back, far back to a Big Bang or something. But well, what I mean is, you you believe in you believe in life transitional forms of. I don't care about that, but some some atheists they don't even believe in the Big Bang. But you do believe in like a macro evolution. Right, where one living species has turned into another chemically and physically, right? As as far as I can tell, I mean I'm no I'm no scientific expert, but I have I have seen okay. evidence okay. of, of well, evolution. That's your that's your that's your view on origin of life, right? That's your that's your world view on materialism. You believe that all matter had a beginning, but we are all just matter. There is no immaterial realities out there. It's just a mirror. Well, you're, uh, you're we're in just consciousness. There's consciousness, obviously. So well, what we is consciousness? Have, what is, yeah, what does that mean? Co- consciousness, I have consciousness. I am aware of things in my reality. I 
you know, I'm I'm aware of the fact. And we can, you know, look at, for instance, dogs, and we see that they have some form of consciousness as well by which they're directing themselves, and they they are aware of their surroundings. You know, they can they can sure, hear when sure. I'm putting the dog food in the bowl and they start barking, stuff like that. But well, they use uh, animal instincts, absolutely. But we 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 in a sense use animal instincts too. I mean, we, uh, well, at least a, a materialist would argue you that you know find human beings. Yeah. Yeah, sure. You know, we come from an animal kingdom, and we ourselves are animals, and so on and so forth. The so, circle of life goes. But here's so, here's my question. This is sure, oops. sure. Can I, so let me ask you this question: um, If we are chemically evolved, a very you know, brain, uh, our brains were evolved, our bodies were evolved, everything that we are, whether we learned good value morals throughout all that is a whole other topic. But my question is: Should evolution Tell us how we ought to behave, and does it? Does evolution? No, no, no. I think no. I think the thing that tells us how we ought to behave is uh-huh. human nature as we know it now, which is that so we are we we are living beings who survive primarily by our rational faculty, by our reason. What and does that mean? All chemical reactions. So what that means is the means Chemical by which you, no no the the means by which you and I are speaking right now, everything that is in the grocery store all laid out there, a wonderful selection of food for us to, you know, decide what we're going to put in our bodies. All of this stuff is made available through human reason. Now you want you maybe want to reduce human reason to a chemical reaction. I don't know if it's there. What I know is that human reason exactly. yeah, I, don't, I don't believe i don't believe that i'm i'm trying i'm trying to understand it, you as an atheist and what you believe personally i'm just trying to probe it and what find do, out what yeah i mean what i what i do and what i think any rational atheist would do is take what i can perceive as the given now what i don't perceive and what i don't have any evidence for is any sort of a supernatural being I see, you know, my consciousness, my reason, my ability to direct my actions in my life and make choices. I see all of that. I have evidence for that. And so then what I don't try to extrapolate to is something that I don't see. Um, am I going to tell you exactly, you know, that I could reduce it to certain chemical reactions? No, no, no. I, I say, look, we have consciousness. It is somehow related to the physical matter of my body. As far as I know, it's going to expire with me. I don't have any reason to think of anything, any consciousness of mine or anybody else's that isn't tied and, and um, you know, necessarily dependent on a physical body and things like that. So, uh, so, there's, so there's nothing outside of you. But let me ask you this. What, I mean, what inside it, of you, though, is saying that something is right and something's wrong? Because I could tell you there's a lot of... Uh, yeah. moral-filled people in India right now who, uh, sure. you know, it's very interesting. They, um, in India, they, they're, a lot of them are Chad, Buddhist. Chad, depends Chad, on this, yes. um, this, this conversation is getting a little farther afield than I really wanted to go, and I did want to get oh, to oh, it well, before I have to sure, end the show sure. tonight. Yeah. Um, but right, I well, I'd love to discuss this with you another time. That would be sure, great Chad, because I do have more you questions know, for you. Know, you know what would be great is if, Go ahead, and if you can, if you can check out The Objectivist Ethics, that essay, and then if you come back with any questions or criticisms of her ability to actually ground an ethics in reality 
as opposed mm-hmm. to in any sort of a supernatural being or something uh, sent down through the Bible. But, I mean, you will find it to be a robust ethics with many virtues, um, just like any religion, but it is. It, it, it's based in reality. She won't be able to justify ethics and virtues, though. That's the point, is that a materialist okay. cannot, you can't. You 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 are a chemical reaction. Your molecules I, I, bumping into molecules. I didn't, I didn't say she was a, a you know a materialist entirely. Obviously, we believe in consciousness. She, we do we do have to go ahead and end the discussion now. And feel free to call in on a future show. I do thank you for your call. Um, so, Bosh, we do want to get to before I know. I, I don't don't have time. Well, no, I mean I, I'll hang out a little bit after, but you can go ahead and use what time we have left. I know you've got to go off and do something. Um, but I wanted to ask you about Ian Hercieli. And yeah, it, I wanted to discuss what you read from the thing because we you said you wanted to just throw No, no, exactly. I want okay. to ask you this question. Okay. So so in particular, I, I read from the Objective Standard, and I have the link over at the blog at don'tletitgo.com. Um, Ian Hercieli, she is calling for Islamic Reformation. And as I understand it, it's not that it's reforming Islam itself, but it is reforming the way that certain Muslims, namely the kind of lax Muslims, right, that the certain way that they interact with the religion. So she divides Muslims into Medina Muslims who are super serious, the Mecca Muslims who don't take it that seriously, and Muslim dissidents. And she wants to convert, in effect, the Mecca Muslims, the ones who aren't so serious, into either dissidents or have them maybe entirely abandon the religion. Um, In particular, she wants to persuade them to first repudiate Muhammad's semi-divine status along with the literalist reading of the Quran. She wants them to deny the supremacy of life after death. She wants them to repudiate Sharia, the vast body of religious legislation. She wants them to reject the right of individual Muslims to enforce Islamic law and reject, quote, the imperative to wage jihad or holy war. Of course, the last one is the only, actually, that one in Sharia. And actually, three, four, and five is all I care about. If they want to keep one and two, eh, I don't know. But but what do you think? I mean, what do you think, first of all, of her effort to do this? Do you think she could be successful in this? Well, she's an ex-Muslim. She left Islam. She judged it as evil and a good conscience. After 9-11, she left. She is the only one, as far as I know, who wrote a book about this, mm-hmm. about you know uh, helping Muslims get out of the uh, calls for jihad and whatnot. And Muslims will not take her seriously. She left. She's an infidel. She's an apostate to be killed. Now, of course, there are Muslims in this world who are not violent, but they will still look at her and say, well, she's an atheist. I mean, she's, uh, she's an atheist. She's an apostate. And it's also damning to Islam and Muslims that she's the only one who has written such a book. You know, some Muslim, they will right. try to extract, say, well, every time I see a Muslim write a book about it, they're on the cover, they're smiling, they're trying to prove that Islam is not what it is. She recognizes for what it is. It's evil. And again, in good conscience, she left the religion. Yes. So I think she's seen the human beings, the, the, the wasted lives from her family, friends sure. in Africa that she looks at it and feels bad about it. But at the same time, I think it's it's just, it has to come from within. And the way I see it, it has to come in a post-Jihad world where Muslims can start BSing themselves about what Islam means or what they want to mean after we have 
declawed jihad from Islam. But do you think that there are some people who can hear her message, hear about her journey to... And then leave Islam. And yeah. then themselves yeah. leave Islam. And that, so, and that she could have a good influence Absolutely. in that regard. But that's not what do she's you, doing. You know, she's basically in, she's conceding this major point of saying, look, you can keep your religion. Just pretend it isn't what it is. Deny its laws. Deny its its founder. Deny it. Deny well, and basically renounce Islam is what she's saying. Right. Ultimately. Right. Without saying it. But what she's trying to do is, I mean, I, I guess she, and I think, I think it's a healthy approach to say. I respect her. Well, no, but I, but I think, I think it's a healthy approach for her to say, you may or may not end up leaving the religion, but these are the things that you need to abandon. But you know what, though, what's what's context here? You can't do this in a war zone. That's the that's my big problem. Let Muslims, after they have realized that uh, a backlash from their jihad hits them. To the point where they have to make some changes, or if they want to live on Earth, if they want to live with. Other okay, cultures. so what so what you're saying is that the physical war of eliminating jihadists Absolutely. has to only happen first then, before this. Only okay. then, because it is so hostile, it is so militant. The religion you need to again declaw it, rip its teeth out. So you don't think she can make any progress on with, this in the meantime? Okay, Western Muslims, individuals, yes, sure, yes, absolutely. Okay, Muslims in Saudi Arabia. Pakistan and whatnot in general, absolutely not. If I was her, I wouldn't Rare go there. But no. yeah. <laughs> Rare individuals in those countries, possibly. And they'll be inspired by her, but they'll, they might be inspired to leave, which is good. But what she should recommend is start reading your Quran. Because a lot of Muslims, when they start reading the Quran, they start, you know, especially ones in the West, that's when they leave Islam. They can't, in good conscience, as good human beings, be part of this. They said, this is, this is horrific. So I respect her, I admired her, I hate what John Stewart did to her. Uh, it was really nasty, such a punk. And at one point he said, you just want to sell books, and, uh, you know, giggling about it. Here is a serious woman. Right. You know, uh, I think she's gone a little soft, though. I mean, Wafa Sultan is, is my kind of, you know, um, anti-Islam uh, proponent. I mean, I mean, uh, a thinker. She's there. She calls Islam what it is. Over the years, Ayanna Arsilia has gotten a little soft, Islamist, Islamism, certain terms that she'd never used before. And she's been, you know, liberalized in a lot of ways. You know what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to get her book and check it out. No, definitely. Um, and, then, and then in the see smoking rooms of jihad, this will be possibly a way out. But at the same time, this is an atheist, apostate, ex-Muslim proposing this. Mm-hmm. Any Muslim who understands his religion, who, who understands to some extent, has to reject her and also see her as an absolute busybody. Who the hell are you? We're supposed to kill you anyway, and now you're telling us how to interpret our religion? Well, but I'm sure that there are many Muslims who are not quite that far along no. that might be receptive to her message. But there are Muslims who, they might even be practicing Muslims in a mm-hmm. serious way, who see, well, she, she left Islam. She's, she's gone. She mm-hmm. has no say-so. But, but I mean, I she she could see this as her personal mission, given her background, Clearly, the it, same it, way that you see using comics to fight jihad. Yeah, but I'm not looking for a reformation. I want to defend us True. first and foremost to hell with Islam, to hell with whatever they do with their religion. Again, defend us, defend ourselves, defeat jihad, and let Muslims. BS themselves forever right. about what Islam means. But that's, I don't care. That's with your, you know, your particular background and 
talents and the way that you're using them. And you're more concerned, actually, I think, with the physical war than with the other side. And, I mean, this is the question. Do you think that what she's doing is something valid or if it is just a busybody thing? I mean, no, no, no. From a Muslim perspective, it is. From mm-hmm. Muslims who... Uh, what about who, from your perspective? This is something valid? I would never do this. Well, would you wouldn't never. do this, but... And I'm you wouldn't do it, why? I wouldn't, because it's, it's, it, to me, I, I left it. I left it for good reasons. It's evil. I want nothing to do with it. Well, but you care. are having things to do with it yeah, still, right? Because you're fighting it for your comic. Waged, you know, yeah, and, and she why. says, yeah, we're being waged jihad on. Yeah. So one of the things that she wants to do is she wants to get all of those non-Muslim Muslims yeah, and get them to leave. That don't exist. This is idea, I think the Western idea, the Meccan Muslims and the Medina Muslims. That's BS. Because the doctrine of abrogation says that all the later verses in the Quran well, right, right. Well, wipe right. out but, all the well, Right, but then the whole so idea is... It's Mecca, you know, Medina the, wipes out Mecca. Right, but the Mecca ones are the ones who are... But there are no Mecca choose- Muslims. They don't call themselves. They call themselves Muslims. They're, they follow Islam. They don't follow Meccan Islam. They're not, I'm a Meccan Muslim. Have you ever heard that? No, Never. But, no, but it's a, it's but a it's, distinction it's, but she's making. But you, you call them non-Muslim Muslims. Yes, but that's a, almost a joke. Okay. You know, they're not. But the, there are Muslims. these people. Yes, but they're yeah. not. But she's making a, a real, a, a serious distinction. Say, there are Muslims who actually follow. Well, I will follow Muhammad when he was not waging war. I mean, he waged yeah. war. That's how. That's why Islam exists today because of war. If Muhammad never engaged in war, it would have been forgotten for the ages. No one would know. We wouldn't be talking about Islam. So you are skeptical about her ability to do this. Very, because the fact is she is trying to do something in the middle of a war zone. There is bombs going off, people being butchered. She goes, okay, I can try to persuade Muslims during this war, which a lot of them have sided quietly with the jihad, no matter what they say. Mm -hmm. The ones in the West have have made their choice, but they still, there's some sympathy there. There's something going on there. I mean, they they mistreat their women. I have Muslim family, as, as I told yeah. you. The admiration of Hitler, the anti-Semitism is hardcore. It is real. It exists in the most moderate Muslim families. Right. So there's something fundamentally wrong. And she is coming here, I guess, as an intellectual something, just trying to create this idea, hey, Muslims, we know you are good. We know there are good Muslims. So try to interpret your religion in a different way than it's ever been interpreted. While this war is going on with the true believers, it just it doesn't to me defend ourselves. Well, couldn't 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 the war be part of the evidence, the persuasive evidence that she's offering them? Look, you don't want this war, right? You know what? Let Muslims do it. Let Muslims again be as themselves about what the religion is. Fine. Don't kill us. Don't come after us. Enough of this crap. And Ayan Hirsi Ali is not going to stop it. From happening. Well, no, and and and, and Biddle and Biddle says as much. He says it is not, you know, sufficient, of course, to Absolutely do this. Not. You have to fight the physical war. Fight you have to, and then give them a real reason to reconsider everything they've ever believed in. When they see the smoking ruins, say, "Oh my God, we did this to ourselves. We brought this on. Now we're gonna, you know, start thinking for the first time in our lives." And that's maybe in that. Climate, but I mean, uh, I, I think I think the fact that she left it herself means why, that why others did, can too. Yeah, yes, but that's not what she's calling for. She's calling for Muslims to maintain their their. No, no, no. She I think is. she no. They can also leave as yes, far as she's concerned. Saying, she, she's also saying that once she wants them to continue staying with Islam, just interpret it a different way. I don't care for that crap. Get the hell out! It's evil. 
And again, post 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 jihad, Muslims can BS themselves. Oh, Muhammad wasn't really this. He didn't really mean that. All the verses were uh, created by other uh, other yeah. Arabs. Fine, just leave us alone. That's what it comes down to. Leave us the hell alone. Right. And uh, the bombing, they only respect force. They don't respect an intellectual book. Well, but approach. she respected an intellectual approach to it. I mean, yeah. sure, she yeah, did she, it herself. She got the hell out, though. Sure. She got out. Right. And and I think she also thinks that she's going to encourage a lot of people to get out. It's yes, not just that she, she, she... She's not saying, oh, don't be like me and fully no, leave it. You stay leaving, there. But she's also leaving this idea where... She's saying she's saying there's certain evil you things in this religion that you need Islam's to consciously reject. No, you can pretend Islam... And I'm cool with that. Just pretend it's not evil. Uh, pretend that Muhammad wasn't what what the book says he was. Pretend that he didn't, you know, engage in jihad. Pretend, I mean, pretend that the real Muhammad is the Meccan Muhammad, where he was powerless, where he didn't wish jihad. I mean, come on, we gotta be fully, completely honest, and that's why Ayat Hirsi Ali was on 9/11, completely honest with the religion. Looked at it, says, in good conscience, I am out. And if Muslim wants to be inspired by that and get it, get the hell out, good. But in terms of saving Islam, and that's what it comes down to, what she's doing, reforming Islam. She's trying to save evil, and I reject that completely. She's trying to save this, this evil that's been going for a thousand years against civilization, and her book is going to stop that. Well, as far as I can tell, you know, again, when I listed those five things that she's calling for them to reject, um, those will gut it entirely. It is, in fact, the essence of Islam, and that's why Biddle says that really it's not that she's trying to reform the religion itself. She's trying to revise the way that people interact with the religion. But and, and, that's, and that's all that you really that can do. That happens from within. That happens from within. That happens when the imams are scared to hell of the next bomb coming okay. and saying, guys, uh, if we want to survive, we have to reinterpret or get out. Okay. And she's not going to stop that from happening. Well, I get it. She's not going to you know, influence. And I just I feel very strong about this. Clearly, she does. She feels very strong about that. But that's not the way to go about it. Uh, we have to destroy physically the enemy. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the effect of this book is. Uh, whether, for example, what's her name who writes Miss Marvel is going to say anything about it. Stuff like that. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. a good example. Right. She would reject her and condemn her, and call her who knows what. Uh, because she's a practicing Muslim, she's a little more than your average, you know, Muslim doesn't go to mosque, whatever. Whereas Ayan Hirsi she's uh, educated in the West. I think she's been liberalized. I think she has gone the wrong route. I think, you know, she she wasn't exposed to Ayn Rand, in other words, other mm-hmm. thinkers, and which is why I think she wastes her time here writing a book about that. I, I think it's a waste of time. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. I Do respect you- her. I love that she's out there, and uh, but she's gotten a little softer over the years, and this is the combination of that softness. <laughs> Writing a book and saying it, it, it's called re, you know reforming Islam now. Why why reforming Islam? And Islam had its reformation. The Wahhabi Muhammad Wahhab tried to bring Islam back to the to, to the roots, which is blood and violence, to bring it to to a more pure level. The, there is no reformation. I mean, it's reform to what? Make it to a pacifist religion? I mean, that's How? her idea. Yeah, but yeah. it's impossible. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, that was probably, of the remaining stories, the most important one that we did have to discuss here today. I have the link to Phil Robertson 
delivering the speech about an atheist family getting raped and killed. No, um, thankfully, fun. Chad, who called, was not hostile towards us, uh, wishing that somehow we would get raped and killed. John Nolte at uh, Breitbart uh, is writing that maybe that was just some some mistake. The media is just trying to smear him. I don't think so. I don't think so, John Nolte. I really don't. Because there were, there were there were quotes, story after story after story after story cited it, and they quoted him. And if he said what he said, he's be condemned. Right. John. And others. No, no. I mean, the, you know, this this idea, the hostility towards atheists that can uh, be in there. And, his, you know, his idea is, I mean, you know, the bottom line idea was, this is not wrong, right? Raping, yeah. right? I mean... You, uh, if you don't believe in God, in other words, you have no morality. He says, I'll make a bet with you. Two guys break into an atheist home. He has a little atheist wife and two little atheist daughters. I can just hear the contempt in this guy's voice, even huh. though I'm not listening to it. Two guys break into his home and tie him up in a chair and gag him. And then they take his two daughters in front of him and rape them both. And then shoot them and take his wife and then decapitate her head. And then they can look at him and say... Isn't it great that I don't have to worry about being judged? Isn't it great that there's nothing wrong with this? There's no right or wrong. Now, is it dude? Uh, according to, to, to John Nolte of Breitbart, debunked. debunked. Media's latest ignorant, bigoted attack on Duck Dynasty of Phil Robertson. So what, this this didn't happen? Look, he says all these headlines. And he says, uh-huh. Every one of these he- headlines is wildly misleading and designed to make Robertson look like a lunatic who is attacking atheists. It's not, it's not, he's dreaming of attacking atheists. He's making a fantasy. That's the whole point here. Well, but basically he, he's, he's, physically attack he's, he's saying that basically without God, yes. then Anything all of goes. this is okay. And in effect, that was what Chad, who called in, I mean, no, no, he would not say it like no. this. He was being very polite. But in effect, it's, Without God, anything goes. Anything goes you know, he was trying good. to get down, you know, if I'm just a pile of chemicals and whatever. Um, I'm not just a pile of chemicals. I have <laughs> consciousness. I'm talking to you all now. but uh, And this consciousness is going to go unconscious pretty soon, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, you know, that, that anything goes. And, again, there is an ethics that's available that is grounded in reality and it is what Ayn Rand put out there. I mean, listen, I'll tell you my own story for people who haven't heard it. If you have heard it, I apologize. But when I was about 12 years old, I had not at that point been brought up significantly religious in any way. I had been to church a few times, but you know, I saw kind of the real fire and brimstone preachers on television when I lived in Missouri for a while. They were, I guess, pretty wild because my grandmother said I came back with some big wide eyes and said, you know, grandmother, the guy was on TV and he told me about the devil. I had my big wide eyes. And she said, oh, there's no such thing as the devil. And so I was relieved. Um, but that was, I was about eight then. And then a few years later was, you know, I'm living in New Hampshire and I'm going to Bible study with my friends. I'm going to a church retreat weekend. And of course I like being with my friends, but when it ever came down to praying, I would at my point, you know, at that point in my life, I'm 12 years old, asking myself, do I believe in this? Is there, and I, and I said, hey, I am a good person. I believe that I should be a good person and I should do what's right, but I just don't believe in God. There was not evidence. And it's strictly a matter of there not being evidence. But from 12 years old, I was committed to the idea that I didn't believe in God, but that I should be good. 
Um, and part of what I thought was that I, there shouldn't be drugs or alcohol and those kind of things because I like something about my mind. So those those were kind of my parameters. And then, of course, as I got older, I discovered Rand's views. And, of course, Ayn Rand, she presents and defends a whole very vigorous and, you know, not, I, want, I meant to say rigorous. I am getting tired. <laughs> a rigorous ethics on a secular foundation. So, again, if you haven't checked it out and you just want to see for yourself what could someone just on the basis of reason do in the realm of ethics? Check out the essay, The Objectivist Ethics. Just Google the words, The Objectivist Ethics. You'll find it on the Ayn Rand Institute website. If you want to get fancy and get a book, I invite you to buy her book, The Virtue of Selfishness, through the Amazon link over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com, and you can donate to the show at no cost, no extra cost to you in, in the process. But yeah, definitely do check it out. I mean, if, if you're actually curious about that, some people, they really aren't. And they use this kind of argument. I, I mean, I'm sure Phil Robertson is not curious at all as to whether there can be a, a secular logical foundation for ethics. He he seems very hostile using that example. A um, couple other stories there, and we can pick up some of these on Friday. We're going to talk to you guys again on Friday. Bo Bergdahl, charged with desertion. We gave up five terrorists who are maybe out there doing us harm again and we for a deserter. Up, uh, knowingly. Knowing they knew he was uh, a traitor. You know, he's he's getting away easy. And by the way, mm-hmm. have you ever heard a peep out of this guy, Bergdahl? Anyone? No. They know he's you know, he's out there. Right. He's probably a jihadist. And then finally just a tiny bit of political good news and again we'll pick up with some more on Friday. Senate clobbers Obama's $4 trillion budget plan in a 1 to 98 vote. Um, so, yeah, Obama's budget, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what was I going to say? His budget plan, His I was uh, bloated. Bloated was the word I wanted. The bloated spending plan went down in flames. Um, I'm going to go ahead and call it a night, everybody. I'm obviously getting tired. I'm not able to get the words that I want out. I thank you for tuning in this evening and thank you for people who called in and uh, for Chad. We will talk to you guys next time. Okay, We're going to be here on Friday the same time, 8 p.m. Pacific time, 11 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, leave comments. Feel free, of course, to share this show with your friends as always. Follow me on Twitter at Amy Peekoff. And there's a couple different places on Facebook where you can follow me. I've got the Don't Let It Go on Herd page. And I also have the News Sandwich page in addition to my own profile. So thanks, everyone, for being here. You take care and have a good evening. And we'll talk to you Friday.